Empower Radio presents Art as Worship with Vanessa Lowry. Welcome to Art as Worship. Each week we feature stories of artists and explore their process of creation. I'm your host, Vanessa Lowry, and I'm thankful that you're joining me. On this show, I talk with artists of various faiths, working in a wide range of mediums on the common theme of how they use inspiration and creativity as an expression of their spirituality. Learn how their art is an expression of their own connection to however they name God, Jehovah, Allah, Source, the Universe, the Great Mystery, or something else. My hope is that these stories will inspire your creative efforts and your own spiritual expression. My guest today is Jim Jim Dugan Duggan. 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 Yep. Um, Jim has been carving ice in the Atlanta area for 20 years. He started his sculpting career after graduating from the culinary art program at the Art Institute of Atlanta in 1991, the first graduating class of the school. Jim worked with many chefs that allowed him to study the field of ice sculpture. He went on to leave the kitchen to work full-time in the art of ice sculpture. Eight years ago, Jim founded Ice Sculpture, Inc. He's provided sculptures to events hosting President Carter, President Bush, Snoop Dogg, The Thrashers, Tuskety Airmen, Madonna, NHL All-Star Game, and more. Jim's favorite event each year is Carving Ice for Atlanta Motor Speedway and NASCAR. Jim has also designed and created ice for two movies. Jim is the founding member, is one of the founding members of the Atlanta Ice Marvels, who have placed in the top five twice in the Ice Carving World Championships in Alaska. Welcome, Jim. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I would love for you to expand a little bit more about how you got interested in this art of ice carving. I mean, starting out in the culinary school, I would think you're cooking, not necessarily carving. Absolutely. I went to the Art Institute, and from there I went to go work uh, at Atlanta Country Club. And I was working with Steve Barron, and he carved ice every weekend and um, for the Sunday buffet and things like that. And so I watched him do that. And, you know, coming out of culinary school, I was very green and was looking around the kitchen at all the things there was to do, baking, cooking, saute, whether you want to be on the line. And I saw ice carving, and I saw that as being really the hardest thing in the kitchen that I could really do. And I figured if I could master that, I could do anything. And so um, after him, you know, letting me put his tools out and then clean up after him for weeks and weeks at a time, he finally, uh, one Sunday, was like, hey, I don't feel like carving today. Why don't you go knock something out? So I knocked something out, and I got razzed by all the chefs really good because they it was supposed to be a basket, but they said it looked like a big pacifier. And oh, that no. Was, that was the start of my career. Well, I'm glad that that didn't discourage you. <laughs> no, you've got to break some eggs to make some omelets, right? <laughs> so when you're carving ice, do you have a specific idea in mind of exactly what you want it to look like when you start carving? Absolutely. You know, the planning and preparation is everything. And a lot of times in the industry, I'm carving things that the client wants, and they're very specific. I have some clients who come to me and say, hey, this is our vision, and they give me all the creative license in the world. And then I have some uh, clients who know exactly what they want, and they put us in a box. So the preparation is everything. Um, But then there's chances, like when we go to Alaska, for us to, you know, have a little fun and play with the play with the medium as well. So do you just start out with a big block of ice? Absolutely. We use what is called a Kleinbell block. It's a 300-pound block of ice. It's crystal clear. It's made in a special maker. And that way, we have a standard block to start with, but we are not in the box of that block. We can fuse pieces together. We, I have had pieces that have been over 100 blocks of ice. So you can start thinking outside of outside of the box, so to speak. And get outside of the block. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that's fascinating. So when you... Um, are creating an idea for something that you want to sculpt? Do you do you sketch it out or do you have a photograph or something that you work from? A lot of times I work from photographs. 
I will be quite honest, I cannot draw worth a dang. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a, definitely a carver. I can look at something and I can sculpt it. So I, don't ask me how that works, but um, I can produce a sketch if I need to. There's a lot on the light table and tracing and things like that. We're a lot more digital now. We are. We use uh, what we call a three-axis CNC, which is basically a robot. A lot of that prefabs a lot of what we're doing. So we go to the computer now. We do drawings in a CAD file, and then we convert it into um, what the robot cuts for us. That's when we're doing things like logos or even a lot of our three-dimensional sculptures. We will start now with a robot. It will do a cookie-cutter shape for us. It will do a profile, and then we go from there. So a lot of the preparation is done on the computer now. So how much time do you do you, do you need for creating a nice sculpture? Wow. Sometimes we don't get any time. Sometimes we get a lot of time. Like with Alaska, we take a full year to prepare for that. Um, I'll give you an instance, and I know this is going to air after the fact, but the Falcons are playing this weekend, and Nike came to us with a huge job where they said, okay, if the Falcons win, you can do these 10-foot-tall sculptures. So they were looking at doing one for this weekend. That would have meant that when I left here today, I would work straight for about 40 hours on that one piece. Wow. And that would be all the time they give me. But we look at it like this. It's like fishing. When the fishing's good, we fish and we keep fishing. <laughs> <laughs> I know when you have your own business, it's hard to turn work away when, when people are coming to your door because you don't know when the next project's necessarily going to come. Absolutely. And it's a seasonal business. Like we just came out of our busy season. We usually stay st- pretty steady until we go to Alaska, which is in um, February, late part of February. And then um, after that, it really dies down. And for the summer, we die down to the point where, you know, we might have four or five jobs a week. And then I take the, the wood saw out and I get a big piece of wood and I go outside in the sunshine and I carve wood for fun. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're, car- when you're carving with ice, I know you said that sometimes the robot does some of the prep work, but mm-hmm. what kind of tools are you using when you get then to the ice yourself? I am the luckiest guy in the world because I have the most awesome ice instruments of, or tools of ice destruction. Um, we have some really, really neat power tools. The industry is becoming um, more and more modern. So, yeah, we have the chainsaw and we have the die grinders and we have the burbits and things like that and the angle grinders for sanding. But we have some new specialty bits coming out that are like rotary chainsaws. I have one bit that's about 12 inches long. And because it's on a rotary tool, it's on a high-speed um, uh, a spindle, basically, that's handheld, it allows us to do curve cuts that you couldn't do with a chainsaw and yet cut through a 10-inch block of ice. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's really neat. And the, it seems, you know, each year we have these new toys coming out for us. So I have one waiting for me in Alaska that is a prototype, and it's uh, the 15-time world champion Steve Bryce designed it, and he's got seven of them, and he emailed me. He's like, do you want one? I was like, see you in Alaska. <laughs> So what kind of clothes do you wear when you're carving? Uh, we look like we're going snowmobiling. Uh, we have full freezer suits on. So we do work in a freezer. It's 18 degrees, 100% chance of snow every day that we're in there because we create it. Um, so basically, we look like we're in big freezer suits. We have big boots on, gloves. Uh, you basically look like you're going snowmobiling or skiing. Well, I thought it was really appropriate that yesterday in Atlanta we had you know, all kinds of warnings about ice. And then today I'm interviewing an ice sculpture artist. So That's an absolutely good thought, timing. Yeah, I thought the timing was really good. Yeah. <laughs> so how how does your spirituality find expression in your art? That is a really good question because it, you know, I could get really philosophical on you. <laughs> ice carving is such a temporary medium. You know, ice is very temporary. It's an element. So we're taking water and we're taking it and we're changing its form. We're crystallizing it. We're freezing it turning it into ice. 
And then an ice carving, it has a life of its own. You know, there is the production process of it. There's the creative process of it where you actually create the ice sculpture. But then once you set it out and it tempers and it frosts up and then it starts to melt, as an ice carver, I'm creating something where I know it's going to change. So when I first set it out, it may not be finished. What we try and we try and calculate the melt. So an hour into it actually melting, that's when it should look its best. That's when it should have its peak of its life. And then after that, it's going to start to deteriorate. So as the guests walk in, we get that wow factor and they get that memory. And then it's going to start disappearing and it's going to start going away and it's going to start turning back into water and the circle will begin all over again. So so I, I would think that that's really quite a skill to know when when it's going to look its best and to time everything from both a delivery standpoint and a setting it up standpoint for it to really look its best when people start to come in. Absolutely. You know, if it's a hot day in, in the summer, we've got to cut it a little differently than a December day, you know, or January. So, yes, absolutely. Wow. That's amazing. Thanks. <laughs> so um, can you share a story with us about how your art has expanded your awareness of God? Absolutely. You know, first first trip to Alaska, our first world championships. You know, I, I have not had, you know, God in my life. Uh, life, my entire life. After my second divorce, I really found Jesus. And I go to North Point Community Church, and I love it. I go every weekend, and I serve up there. And it's just a great, great place for me. I found a good home there. And in that journey, um, you know, listening to the messages, you know, I really started practicing my belief, my Christianity. And on that first journey up to Alaska, I was at this point in my life where I was, you know, had some doubts on which direction I was going. And, you know, it was basically 10 years after my brother had passed. And I had the only reason I was going to Alaska was to rekindle a friendship from an old business that I had with Joel McRae, who's my good, dear friend, of excellent sculptor. He's well known here in the, in the Atlanta area. And so we decided we had talked about for years going to Alaska and competing in this world championship. So I called him out of the blue. I was like, hey, buddy, you want to go to Alaska? Let's do this. So. We put a team together, and we're these four guys from Atlanta where we get maybe an inch of snow a year, right? <laughs> and so we go up to Alaska, and um, we cut ice for six days in the brutal cold. The first day we competed, it was negative 36. Oh. We're from Atlanta. Now, um, we know now not to carve ice at negative 36 because it will fracture greatly. <laughs> but we didn't know that. We're out there zinging ice around with big chainsaws. And the other carvers are looking at us, at us like, oh, what are these guys, idiots doing, you know? <laughs> but anyway, you know, you go through this six-day process where you cut 30,000 pounds of ice. Our blocks here are 300 pounds. The blocks up there they give you are 3,000 pounds, and they give you 10 of them. They have to use heavy equipment to stack them. So we're, you know, you have to stack scaffolding. You're up on two stories up cutting ice sculptures. It's an amazing process. And when you get done with it, it's just an overwhelming feeling of satisfaction and, hey, I have accomplished something. So, so there's one day in before between um, when they actually do the judging. They do the judging the day after, and then they give you the medals the next night. So I take my team. We rent a car, and we go up to this place called China Hot Springs. It's this um, volcanic hot spring up about an hour and a half away from Fairbanks. And it's just this majestic, beautiful place. You're out it's negative 20 degrees and you're sitting in this very, very hot bath and it's just overwhelming. And so we go up there and we're just all just, just so very, very happy and grateful for what we had just done. And since my brother's accident, the day of his accident, I got a ring and that ring I got in the emergency room. 
And so I'm in this volcanic hot spring and I look down, it's a silver ring and it's bright gold. It had turned gold. And it was just this overwhelming feeling of just complete satisfaction. It was just, it was a very turning spiritual moment in my, of my life that 10 years later, here was my brother giving me my gold medal. Nobody ever has to tell me I'm good at something again. You wow. Know? It's a very spiritual awakening for me. Wow, that's awesome. Well, and I know you had mentioned to me before we went on air that you all are, have actually created a fundraising event around um, around the Alaska event. Is that Absolutely, right? Can you yeah. tell me a little bit more about that? This is for Children's Charities of Atlanta, and it's benefiting Children's Health Care of Atlanta. This is where my brother was before he passed. He actually passed at that hospital. And it is just a wonderful hospital. They have such caring people. And I I don't only consider myself lucky to have have had these people in my life, but I question how healthy I would be spiritually and physically if it hadn't been for all the care that they gave our family after his passing. And so for that, I am we what we're doing is we're doing a 24-hour marathon fundraiser. We're going to practice the Alaska piece. It's going to be one-fifth scale. We're going to cut for 24 hours, and at the end, there's a fire and ice event, like a VIP party. So we're selling tickets to that. It's going to be on another radio station here in town um, uh, for part of it, and we're already having some good response to it. We're really looking forward to it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it should be cool. Well, and I um, I know that um, you were saying that the four that you've got four guys that go and do this this sculpture in Alaska. Yep. So how is it different for you when you're creating something solo versus creating something collaboratively? That's a great question. You know, solo, you get to decide every little nook and cranny. When you're working on a team, you are a part of a unit. And that is a great part of the process as well as the interaction. And we have our good days and we have our bad days. <laughs> And they're streaming video while we're competing. And we're lucky that it only <laughs> it only updates every minute a picture because you don't really get to see the fights we're having either, like the arguments. Because after you work for three days out in the bitter cold with chainsaws, you know, you can – sometimes you can butt heads. But these this group of guys, we work so well together that even at our lowest – like last year, we had a crash and burn. We were like four hours away from judging, and one of our dragons went down. We were doing a Janichi piece. So it was three human figures and two dragons up front. And – and everybody in the competition was like, you went from silver or bronze to about 10th. And then we recovered back up to fifth. We came in fifth wow. last year. And it was because we pulled together and we didn't, you know, nobody pointed fingers. Nobody said this or that. Everybody just said, okay, what do we need to do to get this done? And that, those are my boys. I would go to the end of the earth for them. So do you have any kind of a, a process that you use to get connected to that creative flow when you're getting ready to create either individually or collaboratively? Uh, it is the... Probably the closest I feel to God is when I have a chainsaw in my hand and I'm cutting. It is definitely a spiritual thing for me. It's where I can meditate. Because when I'm carving, I've been carving for so long now, it's like I'm a fish in water. So I'm not thinking as much about the piece, you know, because I am. But I'm also, I can reflect, I can tune everything out, and I can really, I work through a lot of problems while I'm carving, that's for sure. You know, whether they're good or bad, whatever they, whatever I'm dealing with at the time. Best thing I can do is get in the freezer and carve for a couple hours. <laughs> so are you able to carve every day? Yes. My studio is um, really close to my house. I can carve anytime I want. So, yeah, I, I am lucky I do get to carve just about every single day. There are times like we will get off the plane from Alaska <laughs> and I will look at my teammates and I will say, I do not really want to talk to you all for a couple of weeks. And I probably won't get in the freezer for about a week, you know, because once once we get to that point, it's like, OK, enough is enough. 
Because really, you just need to get warm at that point. Yeah. But what is silly is two days later, I'll be outside carving on a piece of wood. (laughs) I just can't never. It seems like I can never put the chainsaw down. So are you still I know that you started out as a chef. Do you still are you still a chef as well? You know, I cook for fun. I do love to cook. Um, I do not cook professionally anymore. I My heart goes out to those who do. It's a very, very tough career choice. And, it, and there are some great chefs here in town. Um, I do teach locally at Chattahoochee Technical still. Uh, I teach the um, the ice carving program for the Garmage class, and that goes really well. We do it two times a year. And then we try, we're trying to bring a competition into our charity event, the Fire and Ice event, where all the schools can form a team and compete against each other. So I try in my own way to give back to the culinary schools, but I am I do not call myself a chef anymore just out of respect to the profession. <laughs> so when you're teaching ice carving, um, do you have any particular things that you teach your students about um, really understanding what they need to do going into to the carving of the ice? Absolutely. The first thing we teach is safety. It is a silly block of ice. It's water. It doesn't matter. And I've seen, you know, the worst accidents with ice carving happen when a carver tries to save a piece that might be falling or not knowing how a tool works properly. So we teach them the fundamentals of how to handle a block of ice. Because if you order a 300-pound block of ice and you've never moved it around before, it's like a greased watermelon. So we try and teach them that aspect. And then we teach them the, the fundamentals of approaching an ice carving, which is drawing it out. Learn how to template the ice, learn how to cut out the cookie cutter shape, learn how to do the molding, and then learn how to do the detailing. It's a systematic step so that on their first one or two ice carvings in class, I really don't care what it looks like. As long as they learn how to use the tools and they learn how the process works, I've given them everything they need to know to go to their chef where they work and say, hey, could you order me a couple blocks of ice so I can practice? And they can keep going because that's what was given to me. So after my pacifier, I had the, you know, I had the urge to cut more and thank goodness that the chef had told, shown me how to do it properly. Well, and do you have a favorite piece or a couple of pieces that you've done over the years? Oh, that's a difficult question. You know, um, I've done a couple movie pieces. Those are always fun, but after they're an experience too, and it's, it's a grueling process. The Alaska pieces, our first Alaska piece, the, um, the one we did of Pinocchio turning, you know, the blue fairies turning Pinocchio into a boy. That's probably one of my favorite pieces. I love doing human form. Um, I also love doing the work for NASCAR. I love doing cars. I love doing trains and things like that. Um, we got to do Tony Stewart's car a couple years ago, and that was really neat. And it was like one-third scale, so it was pretty big. So um, I do love automobiles and doing stuff like that. And so do you travel to a lot of different places in the country? I know you said you do Alaska, but are most of your projects here in the Atlanta area? Most of the projects are here. We will travel. We do go down in as far as Florida sometimes. We go up into the Carolinas or Tennessee. But there are a lot of good ice carvers out there. And it is um, more cost effective for a client to use somebody close to them. So if I know there's somebody close to them that's a good ice carver, I'll recommend them just to save the client money. Usually they're very appreciative, and when they do a job in Atlanta, they come right back to us. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, I would think that you would have to have a very particular type of facility to be able to do the carving. Absolutely. It's not like any other type of carving, really. <laughs> it's very custom. You'd walk into my freezer, and it's, you know, it is my office, and we have made it that way. There's hydraulic lifts. We have the robot in there. So, you know, it's very mechanized also. So you, you mentioned that you do a lot of teaching, but is there actually an apprenticeship for ice carving? 
Um, there is a school in Colorado for ice carving. You can actually go to college for it. But then most shops, they do have apprentices. So I do have one apprentice right now. He's 18. And then I have a shop manager, and they both dabble in ice carving. I'd like to see them dabble a little more, but, you know, you can only push them so hard. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so what are the most common types of things that people um, ask you to carve? Absolutely, most definitely swans. And if I could get somebody to start carving swans for me, I'd be the happiest person in the world because <laughs> I think I'm at like 550 or 600 now probably. Probably more than that. I have lost count. Um, are you able to do anything different with a swan at this point? I still learn every time I do one. Like I'll, I'll find a niche or I'll find part of the, the head or I'll find a different way to fold the feathers in. Or You're always learning. I can always go back to a carving and find a new tweak or find something I just, I just missed before. So I'm still learning on swans. I'm still learning how to do them. <laughs> well, and it's obviously a lot of your, I mean, I guess all of your projects are under deadline because they're for a specific event. Absolutely. So are you able to fix a carving if something breaks or something, <laughs> if you chop something off that's not supposed to be chopped off? Yes. When we're on deliveries, we don't talk about accidents, but they do happen. <laughs> um, you can do a lot to fix a carving. I have dropped, we, one time we dropped a lobster walking into a club. I'm not going to say where. <laughs> <laughs> and it probably broke into about seven pieces. We were actually, we had extra snow on the truck, you know, a little water and a little snow that you can weld just about anything back together. We got it back together, and they didn't even notice. Oh, wow. Well. And I, was, I actually called the, um, the manager. I was like, listen, if that starts to look unsturdy about halfway through, why don't you pull it off the table? We had a little incident with it. So they left it up the whole time. Oh, well, that's uh, great. <laughs> another time, one of my guys, it was during the middle of summer, and we were setting up a logo. It was, it was like an inscription, which is like a monogram. It's a slab of ice. He was setting that up on a, at a pool. It was on a ledge in between a hot tub and the pool. And it fell into the pool, <laughs> fell into the pool and broke into two pieces. He jumped in after it. He was able to put it back together. And he sent me a picture of it. It looked great. I was like, listen, if the customer, if they don't want to pay for that, they don't have to pay for that. They still paid for it. They, they were just grateful that he took, he just jumped in after it, no regard <laughs> for his clothes or anything and got it done. So yeah. And there are some times where something does happen and something breaks and you can't replace it. You can't fix it. And at that point, you just say, you know, we're sorry, especially if it's for a wedding or something like that. And you say, listen, we're sorry about this one. Of course, there's no charge. And on your first anniversary, you get another one free because we want you to have this sculpture and we want you to have it next year. And usually a bride and groom are just so appreciative of that. You know, if you go above and beyond, you know, to make sure that you know how special they are to you as a customer, the, the paybacks are great. Well, and gives them a reason to have a big party on their first anniversary. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Jim, how has your art affected your spiritual evolution, or how has your spiritual evolution affected your art? You know, it is, it's what I live for. And there are good days and there are bad days, and running a business can be really tough. It can be really tough. But I always can go back to the chainsaw and a block of ice, and I can always find that calm, and it will always level me out. You know, I can always go back to it. And I really, really thank God for that. Well, and I know that in your bio, we said you actually started your business about eight years ago. You'd worked with a, num a number of other companies mm -hmm. and then started your business. So you've kind of weathered this um, downturn of the economy. Has that affected the ice sculpting business? I am so thankful. You know, after 9-11, I owned part of another company here in town called Ice Magic. And it really, it was so big, it crumbled under itself because the hospitality industry went into a nosedive. 
So structuring this new company, I'd structured it so it could get as large as it wanted to and be as busy as it wanted to. But at the same time, if the economy went to, you know, sour like it has for a couple of years, that anything in that shop I could do by myself so that we could, you know, turn up the gas when we need to and turn it down also when we need to. And a few years ago, you know, I was, um, I was like a lot of Americans, not very smart financially, and I ran up some huge debt. And over the last three years, I've paid it all off. Thank Congratulations. God. Yeah, you know, I'm in a great spot. And so being in that spot now, I can run the company a lot more wisely, and I can make sure that my employees are, are protected and the, the company is protected. And even through the economy, we've been very blessed. Our orders keep coming in, and um, we've been very busy. So I'm very thankful for that. Well, it sounds like you all do lots of different types of sculptures and lots of different types of subjects. So, and I'm sure that some of, sometimes the client comes to you with that and sometimes you all make suggestions, but how do you, how do your ideas come to you and how do you decide which ideas you're going to pursue? You know, you see the new trends in the industry, you know, and you, you'll see things you like, see things you don't like, and you kind of bring it into your repertoire and you, and you let that influence what you're doing. Um, like right now, everybody's going into hanging ice, hanging ice from the ceiling and things like that, like doing these big curtains and chandeliers. There's a lot of colored ice. Um, there's a lot of lounges and hotels out there right now. I'm dying to get one in Atlanta where we could maybe do like a restaurant lounge or a big bar out of ice, something like that, where people can go in and enjoy it. I've been approached by um, another company who wants to do something Kind of like the Gaylord Hotels where they have the big the ice museum, like the Dr. Seuss style that they have at the Gaylord. So there's a lot of different avenues, and there's always something right around the corner, something new to do. So yeah, there are some big, big projects out there. I'd like to see Atlanta have maybe a, a larger display of ice in the future. That would be neat. Well, and I, I um, grew up where there was in the, you know, where we had cold winters. And my whole goal when I came to school was to go where it was warmer. So <laughs> I am certainly um, not a big fan of thinking about going into a hotel full of ice. But I know that there's some beautiful pictures of some of those. But are you are you native to to Georgia? Uh, I was born in Buffalo, New York. Okay, so you well, were born no, into the cold. <laughs> I was born, but we left a couple weeks after. My, my parents <laughs> lived in Palo Alto, California. So up to elementary school, I grew up in Palo Alto, California, which was a great place to live and a great place to leave. I mean, I love it out there, <laughs> but it's a little crowded. So, um, you know, con- like growing up through high school and college, eh, not a huge fan of Atlanta, but, at, you know, after college, I really started to really appreciate the city and the size of it because it's, it's not too big and it's not too small. And there's a lot really here to do. So now, you know, I'm just totally in love with this city and the people here and, even though I don't have a birth certificate from here, I do consider myself a um, a Georgian, like well, just about 70% of the other people. And a lot of conventions and a lot of hotels. So I would think that that's good for your business. We have great facilities. We have absolutely great facilities. We have a, we are really lucky. We have great restaurants. We have great hotels. And we have great venues. Well, and I, um, I, I think that that's really interesting that you went into ice sculpture because I would think that there's, Maybe not as much more as as many competitors in Atlanta as there might be some other places. Is that true or not? You know, it's every town. There are a few big companies and I do have my competitors. But you know what? I'm really lucky. All of my competitors are my teammates for the most part. You know, it's like we're, it's a tight knit group here. And if one of us is having a problem, we all chip in and we all jump in and we we help each other out. And that is it used to not be like that here in town. We used to be really cutthroat. And then. 
after we started going to Alaska together, we all kind of saw that we need each other. You know, not one company can do everything. And you never know. You might sell that job where you need to pull in the other companies to help you, you know, so. And you need to know that you've got people that you can count on that do a really good job. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're lucky. And I think more and more markets and industries are going into more of a collaborative state instead of a competitive state. So that's interesting that yours is as well. Yeah, and you know, it's it's one of those things where why not have fun and enjoy the people around you yeah. too, you know? So tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you and find out more about Ice Sculpture Inc. Um, you can go to icesculptureinc.com. We just started a Facebook page, so you can find us on Facebook also. You can also find the Alaska team at atlantaicemarvels.com, or not, I'm sorry, on Facebook, Atlanta Ice Marvels on Facebook. And then, um, so yeah, my employees have drugged me kicking and stream, screaming into the modern age here with Facebook and everything. And then if you want to see what we're doing, um, especially up in Alaska, you can go to icealaska.com and they do like a, they, while the competition is going on, they update a picture every minute. And then if you want to follow me on Twitter and I do send like when we're doing stuff, like we tweeted some stuff about the Falcons last weekend from the, the dome. When we're doing fun stuff, we'll send out tweets, and that's at Chainsaw Duggan. Wow, Chainsaw Duggan. That's cool. You know, well, like the wrestler, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I'm Chainsaw <laughs> Jim Duggan. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So, Jim, are there any last thoughts that you would like to leave with our listeners about how they might uh, connect their own creativity and their expression of spirituality? I would say if you are enjoying whatever you're doing, whether it's with clay or with ice or carving tallow or whatever, if it makes you happy, go for it. You know, the idea is to just find some peace and, you know, you will be surprised after you start working on something. A lot of times I look down and I'm like, where did that come from? You know, and it just amazes me. It still amazes me. So I'm very thankful to the Lord for that. Well, excellent. Jim, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Great. And I know you've got a busy afternoon. You've got some big projects coming up. So. Yes, ma'am. It's time to go carve some more Falcons ice. Go Falcons. <laughs> go get go get suited up in your ice, in your ice suit and That's carve. That's right. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners. I welcome your suggestions or comments on this or any of our shows. You can find links to all of our shows on Empower Radio and on our website, artasworship.net. Please come share your stories of art as worship on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash art as worship. Listen in next week as we talk with another artist about their creative process and how it connects with their spiritual journey. May you have an inspired and creative week. Namaste. Namaste.